What is going on, everyone? This is, well, officially episode two of the Dear DSM podcast. With me today is actually my very first guest on this podcast here. It's RJ Miller. RJ, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because I follow you on Facebook a little bit and I see you're very active. You've got all kinds of things going on here. So RJ, um, just so you guys Sorry. know, yeah, RJ has got, he is an education advocate. He's a hood advocate, a youth mentor, as a fighter against injustice, and he's based here in Des Moines, Iowa. So, RJ, um, you're up to all kinds of things. Like I just said, you got a lot of different things you can tell us about Des Moines, about what you do. I'm sure. So let's just let's just kind of start from the very beginning. It's kind of where I like to start with everybody here. So, um, I guess number one, did you grow up in Iowa? Um, so I grew up, I was, I was born and raised in Minneapolis, Minnesota, but I've always been back and forth to Des Moines, Iowa, between Minnesota and Des Moines, Iowa, since I was a kid. My parents and grandparents are from Des Moines, Iowa. So I've always had roots um, on this west, on the west side, of, on the west side, not, not west Des Moines, but on the west side of Des Moines. <laughs> yeah. Specifically yeah. 19th University, 12th and Day, that area. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So. All right, so you grew up in Minnesota, Minneapolis. So what brought you ultimately down to living in Des Moines? <laughs> um, so I've been I've lived in Des Moines before. Again, okay. I've always been back and forth. I have I have a lot of family down here. More more family down here than than in Minnesota because again my parents, their parents, their parents were all from Iowa. So a lot okay. of my population of my family from here. But initially I came down here to essentially have a better life, to stay out of trouble. Cause uh, you know, the neighborhoods that I come from in Minneapolis was very treacherous. I come from the, I was in the hood, um, come from a gang banging background, um, been incarcerated. Um, I was an at-risk youth myself. Um, so I, ca I came down to, to essentially have a fresh start and to better myself. You know, and, and down here, I was able to connect with different resources and different things that I normally wouldn't even thought was possible coming from my neighborhood. You know, I got mm -hmm. involved in, in politics. I was on the campaign for the current vice president, uh, Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm. uh, I got actively involved with our state legislators uh, on the Democratic side and on the Republican side, as well as some people that um, uh, identify as being libertarians. Uh, I, got, I got more involved in advocacy uh, within education. Um, from being a person that was at East High School, being a restorative facilitator, advocating for young men of color, young women of color, and overall marginalized children in general, which inspired me to really take that advocacy to the next level. Um, I resurrected my grandmother's nonprofit, which is called Greater Opportunities, Inc. She was the former executive director, one of the most powerful Blacks within her time, within the 70s and uh, late 60s. You know, she Greater Opportunities was an anti-poverty uh, nonprofit that helped people with rental assistance. Um, it fought to get people jobs, uh, create different career paths for younger people, and to over overall stabilize the incomes of students and families. So you say you uh, revitalized it, um, the organization mm -hmm. that your that your was it your grandmother? You said your grandmother ran this. Yep, Jennings. So the organization was dissolved. Okay, I resurrected it. 
Yeah, okay. I resurrected it with, with, with learning her history. So there's a lot of stuff that I didn't know about my family, you mm -hmm. know, because I again, I'm not from Des Moines. I'm from Minnesota. I mean, when I came down, you know, you know, they were older. So a lot of those stories didn't get passed down. And I didn't find out a lot of stuff until my grandmother passed. And I was I was really inspired uh, with a lot of the courageous work she was doing within the community. Like, I wish I would have knew about this when I was younger, because maybe knowing about this different stuff may have potentially helped me go on a different path when I was younger. So it got dissolved. You brought it back to life. So is that, is that kind of like the main thing you do right now is the Greater Opportunities of uh, Des Moines? Uh, greater Opportunities Inc., yes. Um, okay. So so yes, I, I do that and I'm heavily involved obviously with, with politics, but mm -hmm. with, with Greater Opportunities, I'm able to work certain things hand in hand. Obviously we can't support um, political candidates because of 50C3, but we can definitely educate and we can definitely advocate for um, better things to better resources to come into our community to be able to serve underserved or under-resourced marginalized people. So that's what I like to do um, with, with the nonprofit. Being that I was at risk youth myself, I thought it was important to be able to give back as much as I can to help young people be able to navigate these systems, because I think it's important. Did you have something like that um, when you were an at-risk youth yourself? Like, was there an organization that kind of came to your, no, there was there was no help at all. You just kind of turned yourself around. No, so, no, no. So when I was an average youth, I felt cracks. That's what that's that's what I that's what I was saying. I was getting in trouble. I was the uh -huh. kid that was always getting kicked out of school because I'm fighting. Uh, I got kicked out of every school that I can actually think of. You know what I mean? And I was always mm -hmm. in and out of juvenile facilities. Uh, 15 years old, um, I got charged with second degree assault with a deadly weapon uh, when individuals came on our property with baseball bats. I, I put in a rifle and told them to get off the property or whatever. I got locked up for that. That was my official ushering into the criminal justice system. And I um, did four and a half years. I didn't get out till I was 19. So, you know, I, I didn't really have too many people that look like me in the school systems or in general to mm. really help me navigate and things like that. And I think it's important. I know a lot of people in the community, they say, you know, things start at home, which I agree. Things do definitely start at home, but when, the child leaves that home, they're really not under the parents' domain. You know, yeah. somebody has to be able to supervise when they're in the community, when they're in the neighborhood, who's supervising, you know, when they're in the school, who's supervising. So it, it takes right. a village, you know? Yeah, right. It really does. Is that, is that kind of, so I guess, all right. I'm just going to touch on something you said earlier, just a second ago, you said there wasn't anyone around that looked like you in the school system that was there to advocate on your behalf. So now, you know, I, I think we have a lot of people in the social justice um, realms here who are, you know, who are not black and brown or not like uh, minority people, but they identify as allies. Um, uh -huh. So, you know, we I think we can agree like that's great. We want the allies here, but representation is does matter a lot when you kind of like get right down to it. Right. Absolutely. And when I say representation, because I think a lot of people confuse it, most people think of a black face in a high place. Uh, I don't equate that with necessarily representation. When I think of representation, I think of somebody that not only looks like us, but represents the thoughts, the values and interests of the people within our community. Because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of black faces in high places. A black face in a high place doesn't equate to uh, liberation. It doesn't equate to having black power and it doesn't equate to having progress. That's symbolism. 
Mm-hmm. So real representation. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, all right. So you work with the uh, Greater Opportunities Inc. in Des Moines oh. here. And I think that's I think that's really I think that's really an incredible thing right there because I don't know how I didn't know about it really until just recently. I think you like over Facebook, you invited me to join this group of Greater Opportunities Inc. in Des Moines. I didn't know about it myself here. So, you know, I and I don't live that far from Des Moines. Um so I think I think I think that that's pretty awesome in itself here. So let's go more into that too, because you said like it, it's a revitalization, a re a re uh, restructuring, rebirth, I guess of an organization that your grandmother started here. It was for uh, helping out people who are, you know, very in a very disadvantaged position. Um, Absolutely. So where, where, where have you taken it now that your grandmother maybe didn't take it quite so far? Because I feel like you're probably expanding it in multiple directions here, right? Yeah, So so my grandmother did not start it. She came into it as a secretary. And she worked her way up to becoming the executive director, uh, basically leading the entire organization. But um, under her leadership, they had they were receiving federal funding. We are mm-hmm. not receiving federal funding. Um, they were receiving federal funding um, under that. Um, what was it? So what, uh, President LBJ had they they had the war on poverty, right? And they were receiving federal funds to do that to offer economical uh, resources for uh, disadvantaged people. So they they were receiving that. We're we're not receiving that. So we we are you know in the process of filling out for grants and depending on donations and volunteers and different things like that. But nice. I think what 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 under my leadership we're doing more hands on work with the youth. You know we're partnering with Des Moines Public Schools. So you know we go into the buildings. Uh, we we talk we talk to students. I specifically want to deal with the students that are that are at risk. And um, I know there's a lot of People that think at risk specifically means kids that carry guns, kids that gangbang. To me, that's not at risk. Not that's that's not it's not limited to just that. So at risk, when I think of at risk, I think of anybody that's economically disadvantaged. I think of individuals that are not getting good test scores or overall in a position to where they can where they're projected to either be unemployed as an adult or to go to prison or to have a premature death. You know, individuals that are that are susceptible to these different things and susceptible to drop out too. I look at those individuals as, as them being at risk, you know? So I just try to do as much work with them as I possibly can to help them not fall through the cracks and even support our, our students that are what we would consider to be the poster child as well. Because one thing people fail to realize is the student that is, is a poster child, if they don't receive the proper love, guidance and support, they can fall through the cracks too. So it's about um, helping these students continue to navigate you know, and, and walk through their path so they can be successful, the ones that are doing good, as well as reaching out our hand to uplift those before they fall under the crack or if they have fallen under the crack, providing them with the proper assistance that they need so they can get back on the path and be successful. So talk to us about some of the things, some of the biggest challenges you've run into as you've been run, as you've been doing this. Because there's, I have to imagine there's probably a myriad <laughs> of opposition or just kind of like unforeseen things that you know you think like you know I'm here to help kids I want to put kids on the on the right track right you like you like working with the youth which is probably the best place to start if you're talking about um making a healthier society you know it's like you know, was it Frederick Douglass that said something like 
it's a lot easier to build a strong man than to repair a broken man or something like that. So if you want to, if you really want to make a change, you start earlier rather than later, ideally. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say some of the challenges have definitely been gatekeepers, you know. Uh, unfortunately, we have gatekeepers within the community that want to gatekeep all the resources and different things like that and want you to be a part of the little club. And if you're not part of the club, they try to make it very difficult for you. Um, a lot of the funders and different things like that, they continue to do business with the same organizations and, and throwing money at problems that are being fixed, um, which is disgusting to me because certain stuff's not working, you know, and some of the individuals get heavy media attention for their stuff um, and they're not even really effective or making that much impact when it comes to our community. The ones that are actually boosting the crown when the cameras on around are the ones that are the underdog, the ones that are actually able to reach the target population that a lot of these big names aren't able to reach, but yet these big names are getting all the money and funding and not even able to make um, any, any true impact, impact or really get the results. So it's definitely the gatekeepers, definitely uh, navigating through those obstacles, just trying to be seen, heard, being visible and overall just getting people to take you seriously, mm -hmm. getting, getting people to take you seriously and really standing out and really creating value. So people, so you gotta be, you gotta, at the end of the day, you gotta be a force to be reckoned with. A lot of these people that have the funding that are in a position to be able to help you are not going to help you until you're making noise, unfortunately, you know, mm -hmm. until you're making noise, they don't really care for you, aren't going to try to help you. And it's, it's unfortunate, but I mean, it is what it is. That's the nature of the, the nonprofit world. I mean, I would actually equate it to being like the streets. You know, mm -hmm. it's pretty much survival of the fittest. Um, the bigger organizations are more so, I wanna, you know, keep everything I got. I don't want nobody else to get it. It's me versus everybody. They see you as competition as um, instead of seeing you as a person that they can build a coalition with. You right. know, for example, we, we don't have all the resources. So if there's another organization that has resources, am I going to stop a, a family or, or, or a youth from getting certain services because I don't provide them? That doesn't make sense. The whole purpose is to share resources so individuals can be successful, so we can have a thriving community. You would, be, right. you would think that would be the goal. So just navigating these different things and uh, yeah, just overall trying try to, try to, try to stay afloat from you know, the predators, you know, the, the people that want right. to see you, you fall, you, you have, you know, unfortunately you have your own people that see you as competition. And then you have, you know, people in the, in the power structure that mm -hmm. don't really want things to change for real, for real. And you have individuals wanting to uphold the status quo. So individuals that want to uphold the status quo be the main ones trying to fight, create barriers and different things like that. So those have been some of the challenges, gatekeepers, uh, the individuals that want to essentially go back to business as usual, perpetuating the status quo. And yeah, those individuals make it's really, it very difficult. And yeah, it's yeah, it's ironic too, because because they see you as competition and they they see you as competition. And because of that, as a byproduct, you end up becoming competition because you say, OK, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to work with me. You're not going to play nice. Okay. Well, I guess I got to kind of twist your arm into actually <laughs> seeing me and, and taking me seriously. Right. So, yeah, I know there's, there's, there's always that people, those people out there. And um, I just know from my own experience, there's always people there that want the attention. Like they'll show up when they know they got a camera around or something like that. When there's cameras around, there's someone Absolutely. to talk to. And 
but you know, you try relating to them, you try to get them to do anything and they don't do it. You know, they always, always make, a, they make up some sort of reason why, you know, no, it's not their scene. It's not their thing, you know, but if they know there's a heavy media presence there, oh yeah, they're down. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, re it's really frustrating. So, uh, all right. So let's kind of, let's go a little further on that or further on that. You said you had to make noise for these uh, folks to take you seriously. How'd you make noise? <laughs> um, I, th I think when we first started making noise, it was with our Des Moines youth town halls. So like I've already been doing stuff in the community. I've already been advocating for years for, for families, just really just pushing a line, making sure that everybody was treated, you know, like human beings, treated with, with dignity and pride, you know what I'm saying, when it came to our Des Moines public schools and right. just overall within our community in general. I fight against systems, you know. I'm not, I'm not afraid of people in power, you know what I'm saying. I fear nothing but guys, so. You know, I'm a warrior out here, you know, and then I, again, I come from the streets. So like if I if I was in the streets and I ain't fear no man, what make you think I'm finna fear some dude just because he got a suit and tie on? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I just I'm not I'm not cut from that type of cloth. You know, I just I check that like certain stuff. The warrior aspects are still here. I just redirect, you know, where, where, where that's where that's being, you know, sent to. You know, instead of getting into what people that look like me or getting into what a person because they come from a different neighborhood, I'm gonna get into it with a person that is creating the situations in our neighborhoods in the first way to to keep us in poverty because we know poverty produces crime mm -hmm. and other unwarranted situations so so um what's your what's your family think about all the work you're doing um you know i mean obviously you got some people that 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 think it's good i mean because you know again i was i was the black sheep i I was the one that was, you know, getting into trouble with things like that. So, right. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a turnaround from what I used to be doing, um, making progress, but you know, everybody has, you know, family that's up and down, you know, some people support, some people don't really care. I mean, it is what it is, you know? Uh, right. And that's one thing I noticed too in this, in this type of realm, like um, majority of the time you'll get people support you that you bear, that you don't even know like that. You know, that get inspired, like, hey, you know, I like the work you're doing with kids or, hey, I like how you're standing up for parents or, you know, whatever the case is. And they're, they'll tend to support more, you know, I'm not saying that I don't have any family that support, but I'm just saying that's in, in this realm. That's typically what happens, unfortunately, because people don't see people don't see the unfortunately people don't see the mission all the time. They don't, they don't, they don't see the vision. And then even when they see some of the work that you do, they don't understand the amount of labor that that you had to do in order to to build your organization they don't see the hard work they don't see the blood that that, that that's coming from your hands mm -hmm. you know most people just think you're just you're just doing stuff and it's and it's just happening you know and, and that's that's frustrating too because a lot of people from the outside will tell you how you should do this how you should do that it's like you're not helping you're not donating you're not volunteering you're not doing any of the labor you don't even know what it the ends and outs of what it takes to even run an organization or a business, you know, but you want right. to tell somebody what they should or what, or what they shouldn't be doing, but you're on the sideline. I'm in the game. I don't respect the cheerleader or not. I ain't gonna say I don't respect the cheerleader because they cheer <laughs> on the team. I don't, I, I don't respect the person on the sideline. I, I know what you mean. They ain't going to get out here and get the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I know, you know what you mean. So, all right. So I think we can agree. Uh, like leadership can be a very lonely position to be in. Um, just because you got people who, yeah, people who want, 
who want to tell you how you should do things and they want to influence your hand. They want to guide you one direction or another. Um, is there any, is, do you have anyone that you actually can turn to for actual, actual guidance and can, can actually say, man, I, I'm really frustrated. I don't know what to do here. Cause I've been there too myself. And I can tell you, there's very few people you really can actually trust. Yeah, exactly. I got, I got probably like a few, I got like, probably like a few people to be honest with you that I can go to as far as like mentors down here. I got a few, I don't really got a lot. I mean, cause mm -hmm. I'm cut from a different cloth. Like um, I'm from the cloth that just because you got gray hair don't necessarily mean that you an elder. Like if you ain't conducting yourself as a wise individual or being in a position to actually uplift your people and take them into a productive direction, I'm not necessarily going to equate you as being my elder. Like I show individuals respect just off the strength of the culture, but I'm not just going to automatically just submit to your wisdom if you don't have any. I mean, I'm just being, I'm just being, I'm just being honest. Um, so I, I have a few, and and again, you know, you have some of the elders that don't want to relinquish state power. Mm. That instead of being a, they don't know how to be an uh, an advisor. They don't know how to be a coach. They want to be in a game all in the way, and it's like you had your time. It's our time. It's the millennials' time. It's it's the people underneath me time. Generation Z. You know, yeah. you got to be able to raise up the new leadership leadership and help motivate and guide them and and pass that torch. Individuals don't like to do that. You know, you leave it to certain people. They want to die with their power. You know, instead of making it about community, they make it about themselves. And I think that's that's the unfortunate thing with when we get into this westernized viewpoint way of looking at things. We don't look at things from an Afri a traditional African viewpoint as far as being about community, being about a village, Ubuntu, I am because we are. It's all about self. And we gotta get rid of that disgusting way of looking at things. You know, Even when it comes to a lot of the violence, nobody cares unless it, it's their child. You know, Then everybody wants all the support. Then everybody wants all the love. But prior to that, they don't care about nobody else. So how do you, so how do you uh, keep your organization from kind of falling into that very, um, very kind of rigid um, way of thinking too? Because I know a lot of a lot of very historical and long-standing organizations, like like say the NAACP and stuff like that, they have uh, been on the brunt of uh, accusations like this, like saying you guys are too hierarchical. There's too much structure. You know, you, uh, you got you know there's too many people you got to go to in order to get anything done. So how, how do you avoid doing, having that happen with you? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm the executive director. So, you know, until we get certain things situated, we're not going to be able to hire on a lot of different staff. So I'm pretty much um, a source for, for a lot of the stuff. So mm -hmm. I'm pretty workable, you know, when it, when it comes to getting stuff done, we, we partner with people and, and put in the work where it's needed. And we just, we just take care of the business. We don't make that. We don't make things complicated. We're either going to do the work or we're not. Simple. Awesome. Awesome. So what's your, what would you say, if you can even say, what, what would you say is your proudest moment so far in, in all the work you've done in Des Moines? Um, I would, I would definitely say I've did a lot of stuff, but mm -hmm. I would definitely say uh, watching a lot of our youth that we got the chance to, to raise up through middle school, through high school, and really seeing a lot of the youth that were dropping out get back re-enrolled and now they're going to be walking across that stage seeing a lot of kids who they projected to to fail to to be the underdog and and now they're winning 
you know, they're being successful, seeing a lot of kids who initially um, were soft-spoken, not able to use their voice, but now they have grown into their leadership and they're not only finding their voice, but they're teaching other youth to find theirs and to teach them to advocate uh, for the students, you know, within their buildings, you know, around issues such as mental health, um, uh, definitely representation and, and overall building student clubs, you know, seeing, you know, the black student unions flourish, seeing the Latinos in action and, and core, and just really overall just, just seeing these, these youth grow into their leadership. I'm very proud, you know, at this last, you know, one's youth town hall, we were able to give students awards. We were able to give, you know, staff members from the district awards and community stakeholders. So it was, it's, it's been a, it's been a beautiful thing being able to work with all these various different people and watch everybody grow. So you just meant you mentioned uh, just a second ago mental health. Mm -hmm. You think yeah, I think that's I think I think that's kind of a pointed observation there. Do you think mental health is a huge factor in a lot of the uh, the trouble that you're working with? Yes, I I, I, I would I would I would definitely say so because I feel like mental health has been a very taboo conversation forever. You know, majority of us are just told just to go with the punches, just do certain stuff. And we, we don't take into consideration that we actually have a, a, a mind or brain that we have to keep healthy, just like we have a body we have to keep healthy. You know, mm -hmm. the, brain, the, brain work, the brain works the same way. So I, I feel like if we're not taking care of that, we, we can get burnt out emotionally, mentally, and we won't be able to do our job to the fullest of our cap capabilities. You know, I, I've, se I've seen this with students. I've seen this with parents, I've seen this with the overall, you know, just, just community, man. Just like some of the practices that we grew, grew up traditionally thinking were appropriate and that weren't necessarily appropriate. And there's a lot of traumatic stuff that people went through that they don't even view as being traumatic. It's become so normalized. For example, when I was in the streets, you know, people, I was losing people. People were dying. I seen gunshots, you know. Mm -hmm. Now looking at a lot of these high school kids, a lot of these high school kids are losing more friends than they can count on their hands, be it through gun violence, be it through a uh, drug overdose or drug poisoning through fentanyl, you know? So I feel like they have a lot more to deal with than I did when I was a kid, you know? And I feel like a lot of that trauma has not been treated, you know? Mm -hmm. it's Again, it's taboo to talk to a a, uh, a psychiatrist or to, to really get help. You know, everybody wants to compartmentalize everything and keep everything bottled up. And, you know, specifically men, you know, they're, young men are, you know, pretty much taught that we ain't supposed to cry. We ain't supposed to have no feelings well, one way or the other, keep it bottled up. And I don't really think that that's healthy. And I think that also contributes to violence mm -hmm. and anger because anger ain't nothing but like sadness, you know, amplify, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm really glad. I'm really glad you said that. I'm really glad you said all of that because that's, I think that is probably, if you're talking about, especially, um, like black and black communities, especially because of all the trauma that is they suffer now and they've suffered historically. Um, having that actually dealt with in a therapeutic environment, I think is probably the biggest thing, if not one, it would be one of the biggest things that they need to actually focus on these days, because there's a lot of stuff you like you just said, just kind of gets pushed back. And it's just not really dealt with. And it's just kind of taken for normal when it, it really isn't normal at all. It's not normal for you to watch all your friends get killed. 
you know, it's not normal to be around yeah, um, sure. drug drug overdoses and stuff like that. That stuff's not normal, but you don't know any different. You know, it is a it is a you know, an after is aftermath of all kinds of trauma. Absolutely, we got some of our young women who have went through you know um, molestation and mm -hmm. various other stuff, and they need they need to get help for that too. You know. Um, I've always been taught by one of my elders and one of my mentors, you know, that just because bad things happen to us doesn't give us a license to become a bad person. If something bad happens to us, this should inspire us to create something, some form of programming to, to stop other people from having to suffer or go through the things that we went through or they did go through what we went through, help them be empowered. You mm -hmm. know, because what I've noticed about people who go through bad things Sometimes it causes them to become a bad person and it, and it causes them to participate in very things that they should be fighting against. And that's one of the things I had to learn from being in the streets. You know, I had to, I had to make difficult decisions. You know, do I want to participate and be part of the problem or do I want to fight against the very conditions that cause premature deaths of my friends, cause incarceration of my friends or just cause overall destruction of my, my friends, my community and my people as a whole? You know, and, and the decision I had to make was I want to fight against the conditions. I want to fight against racism. I want to fight against um, systemic injustice. I want to fight against the poverty, you know, and the, the lack of resources in our communities because it's done by design and, and people don't want to have that conversation. There you go. Um, yes, I think black people should have personal responsibility. We should be responsible yes. uh, for our actions, but we also need to be holding other individuals ac accountable for the stuff that they are doing by design because it's deliberately and mm -hmm. it's hurtfully and purposely so. Yeah. And I think it's worth, it's worth, without getting too preaching on my own hand here, I think it's worth noting that if, if black, if black people were left entirely on their own, you know, they were left alone. They weren't traumatized. They weren't targeted. They weren't killed or something like that. Uh, they probably would be pretty well off right now. Like if they were just, I agree. If, if they were just given all the, all, all the normal resources that everyone else gets and all the normal opportunities, they'd be just fine. I, I agree. Cause I, I actually get upset. I get very frustrated because, and specifically when other black people tell me this stuff, um, or for what I don't care who tells me, I get upset. So the, the point of the matter is people will say, well, well, um, why can't you guys stick together? Hispanics can stick together. This group can stick together. This group does this. This group can do that. But one of the things that we have to really stretch is we have to talk about the damages that happened during slavery. We're only I want to say we're probably 100 and what is it, 60 some years out of slavery. If you really think of that, that is not that long ago. So mm -hmm. we have to look at, we have to be able to analyze what that did to us psychologically and what that did to us spiritually. Because people think, okay, that was our grandparents, that, are, that ain't us. Well, we look, we study animals. We look at a wolf. A wolf will instinctively know if he's never seen a human being in his life to stay away from this human because humans bring danger. But he mm -hmm. knows this because it's in his genetic memory passed on to him through his ancestors. That pain, that trauma, all those different things that our ancestors went, that is also encoded within our genetic memory. That's why a lot of, you know, younger people, babies, they're born with, with uh, high blood pressure, they're stressed, they have all these different things, all these different conditions, PTSD, and, and we don't know why. We don't take a look at that. Then after that, you know, we they didn't stop after slavery. There were policies put in place that Jim and Jane Crow, the war on drugs, even though they put the drugs and, and guns into our community, assassinated all our leaders and 
blamed it on other people. They did the, the mass incarceration, the 13th Amendment, which was bullcrap. You know, it, it's just a lot of policies that were put in place to destroy our community. So we never really had a chance. Every time we made progress, they always came systemically to create something to knock us back. And that's something we don't talk about. We don't have those conversations. They have never allowed us to completely be whole as a community. Black right. Wall Street right, right. Said, said somebody did something. Yeah, we, we got self-sufficient. You destroyed our stuff. We 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 point at Santa Street down here in Des Moines, Iowa. Every we had our own community. What did they do? They railroaded it. They mm -hmm. they read and they also redlined our 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 our, our businesses. You gave loans to to, to white business owners, but you didn't give it to us. We had black farmers, you gave them all the subsidies, you gave us nothing. You know, we don't have those conversations about the stuff that they that they can that the stuff that they did and the stuff that they continuously do. So we we can't be a whole people if we continuously have the government creating barriers to stop us. We don't we're not on equal playing field. That pisses me off too, because they sit there and say we're on equal playing field. No, we're not. And your ancestors benefited off and reaped off the benefit of of the work that our ancestors did and and you're being privileged and you have business and wealth based off that and you, you think you don't owe any reparations reparations means to repair damage the damage that was done has never been repaired mm -hmm. and they think that they don't owe they do owe because you cause psychological injury physical emotional economical and political harm and they refuse to address that so I think our people need to wake up and, and see that for what it is too. Yes, we've had all these various different things I just said, which are very, very horrible. But we need we need to educate and we need to advocate. We need to we need to realize, okay, the stuff that they did was horrible. We need to put we need to we need we need to be able to to overcome these things. But all that pull yourself up by the bootstrap, bootstrap stuff, garbage. They didn't have to do it, but they telling us we need to do it. How yeah. how are we gonna pull ourselves by our bootstraps if you're getting rid of our shoes? <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, I'm just saying, man, these oh, people are crazy. Yeah, I know. Oh. Crazy. Starve out our community and then blame us. But like, right. you, 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 that's what really upsets me. You create the conditions in our neighborhoods to be a jungle and you get mad at me when I'm acting like a lion, a tiger or a bear. What did you think was going to happen? You created this. I'm mm. in a jungle. What, what kind of mentality do you think I'm going to have? I don't have any money. I got to eat somehow. It, this happens in the white neighborhoods, too. In the, tra in the trailer parks, they don't want to have that conversation. But the the magnifying glass is, is so centered on the black community, so it's always black on black crime, which is no such thing. It's cr crime is crime. We again, we take this to a Hispanic community that that that's low income, that has poverty, that has drugs, that has different things in it. When you mix these different elements together, I don't care what color you are. This is what you're going to produce. You're going to produce crime. So it is what it is. So what's next on your radar? What are, you, what are you looking at forward to next with uh, with your organization? Um, creating more programs. Gotcha. Creating, creating more programs to address the needs of the community and to address the needs of the youth. We're very, we're very youth-centered. I mean, we deal with parents too, but we're right. more focused on helping our young people because we see the young people as, as being the future. And we want to empower them through education, through career opportunities and different pathways by partnering with other people and just really helping them make their dreams come true. You know, from, you know, coming into the schools and observing kids in elementary, through middle school, through high school, I came to the conclusion that if we don't catch them by middle school, 
they're going to be hard by the time they get in high school. It's almost their mentality is there's no, there's no return, but when they're in elementary, they're dreamers. But at some, at some point between elementary and between middle school and high school, um, their dream becomes a nightmare. So we, we have to figure out how to be more innovative to, to continue to keep young people to continue to dream and to not allow a teacher, a system or anybody to turn that young person's dream into a nightmare and to provide them with, with, the, with the supports that they need. So we're gonna be uh, working with our feeders. So we're gonna be tracking students from, from, from their elementary schools um, to middle school and high school and really just, just giving them that support. Cause students have said that they don't want a person to come in, give a, give a little spill, never hear from, from them ever again in life, one and done, no follow-up. They don't like that. They want people that are gonna be in their corner, that are gonna advocate and fight for them. People that actually believe in them. You know, that's all they're crying out for. From every school that I've been to, from all the town halls that I've hosted, they want support. You know, I, I even remember when I was at Hoover, you know, some of our young ladies, because well, I asked everybody, I asked the males and I asked the females, you know, for, for what, what kind of different things were troubling them. The, the, the young ladies told me, why don't they treat women's sports like they treat male sports? The male sports be packed. When we come, nobody wants to come and support us. So we mm -hmm. start coming to their to their volleyball games, basketball games. We still go to the boy games too. But I, I, I felt where she was coming from because we, we have to be able to support our students. Because at the end of the day, even though I'm not necessarily a pro sports person, I do understand athletics is important. Mm -hmm. uh, those students could be doing anything during, during that time frame where they're not in athletics, getting in all types of trouble. So we have to, we have to be willing to, to celebrate them and, and to support them when they're doing something productive. So just getting the community out to, to support different initiatives. I mean, it's, it's, it's the small things that we consider to be small that we overlook that's very empowering when it comes to our youth. RJ. So just people... overall creating programs. We got black. Gotcha. So RJ, if people wanted to reach out to you, if they wanted to get a hold of you, if they wanted to know like what could they do to actually contribute, how would they do that? What was the last part you said? It cut out. Oh, uh, if people wanted to get a hold of you, like if they wanted to say, hey, I want to contribute, mm -hmm. I want to do something, how would they get a hold of you? What's the best way? They can get a hold of me on Facebook. Um, my Facebook's RJ Miller. Uh, they can get they can get a hold of us on um, our other Facebook, Greater Opportunities Inc. Which, okay. which is on Facebook, it's on Instagram. And yeah, my, per, my, my personal information is on my Facebook. So if a person goes like on the info, my phone number's up there, email's up there. Um, I'm open to the public, I'm here, I'm here to serve. You know, people ask me, where's your office at? My office is in the streets. Right I'm, not, I'm not located at one specific building, I'm not confined, you know, I'm out here. <laughs> loose to the ground when the cameras ain't around. <laughs> Well, RJ, this has been a blast, man. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you for having me, bro. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a real joy here. And to everyone who's listening, this is RJ Miller. He's an activist in Des Moines, Iowa. This is Dear DSM, episode number two, many more to come. Um, I hope I see you again. I hope I hear from you. Until next time, peace out. Love you all. Bye. Hey, this is Sean. Thanks for watching the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to follow the Dear DSM podcast by clicking the follow button on your streaming platform. Also, don't forget to subscribe and or become a contributor to the Same O Libs publication by clicking the link found in the show notes of every episode. I really appreciate you being here. I really appreciate the time you've given me. I hope to see you again. Thanks again. Take care.